before we roll today's interview with Kevin McLaughlin, I want to ask you one question. Do you want to win a brand new Fitbit Blaze? All you got to do is leave a review of the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and regram our promo video that's up on the Instagram page, FFS Gym. It'll also be up on Rory Mac FFS and Kieran Ruddock PT. Regram that, leave us a review, uh, let us know if you're liking the podcast or suggest any guests that we could get on and you'll go straight into a competition to win a new Fitbit Blaze compliments of Fitbit Ireland. Let's get stuck in. Yeah, one of the really interesting things for us is we initially thought that the real power like, of what we can do is because we've got data sets from so many different sports is we can take hamstring injuries, for instance. We can look at every hamstring injury from every team that we work with and based off that massive aggregated data set, we can help teams understand here's the three most important metrics for hamstring injuries. But part of the problem is what causes a hamstring injury in rugby uh, where someone's uh, extended at a ruck and gets absolutely smashed from behind and overextends their hips and uh, you know the hamstring pops off the bone versus in football where someone's at full tilt and suddenly uh, decelerates as they're trying to turn around and go around someone is completely and utterly different. Hello, welcome to episode number 25 of For Fit Sake, the podcast brought to you by FS Gyms. This week, myself and Rudds are joined by Kevin McLaughlin. Um, Rudds is down here, retired international rugby player and current uh, business mogul with Kitman Labs. Does that sound about right, Kev? Not really. I'm, uh, <laughs> You're still playing. Yeah, definitely. On, right about the first part, ready for the glue factory from a rugby perspective. But uh, yeah, now kind of searching my way through through business life and, and trying to figure things out in that way. So th- thanks for the compliment, Rudd. Good start. Yeah, Rudd, <laughs> arse kisser start. But anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll finish the proper intro. Uh, so over 100, 115 appearances for Leinster, represented Ireland pretty much all age grades up to senior. Um, a very well-respected player while you were involved with Leinster and since retiring, obviously now the VP of Operations at Kitman Labs. Um, just to give a bit of background on Kitman Labs for people who don't really know what it's about uh, from my understanding obviously big big part of what you're doing is um correlation collation of basically sports injury data to help teams basically look at player performance and when they might be most susceptible to injury would that be a reasonable summation yeah spot on like at the end of the day we're trying to take the guesswork out of decisions around training and injury prevention um and how teams plan out what a week what a month looks like so that they can optimize what they do at the weekend and keep their star players fit and that's something you've just from listening to you on different podcasts and following your career um which probably started about 30 years ago at this stage when I got her um, obviously a guy who suffered with injuries a lot throughout your career so it's kind of probably um, exciting for you to look at this field you're probably bringing a huge amount of experience for what sports teams and individual athletes could look for to help them perform better and stay on the pitch for longer yeah I think it gives me a bit of credibility because I'm someone who suffered very badly from injuries over my career so it's something that's close to my heart something I actually care about which I think is a good start when you when you come into a job I think you guys here at FFS Everyone I speak to trains here, they clearly see the passion of the trainers here and people want to train with people who are passionate about what they do. And I think we benefit from that as well. It's myself, I was a former player, Jamie Heaslip's now involved at the company, Stephen Smith worked in Leinster, um, Andy Shelton worked for Leicester Tigers, John Dams worked for Waratahs. Like we've got guys who've been in professional sport before. They know what it's about and they care and they understand the problems. And I think for any business, that's a really good start. Absolutely, and I'd imagine uh, like it's it's more than rugby that Kitman Labs are involved in. Like, what what are the big areas that you're looking at growth now in terms of other sports? Yeah, it depends on the geography. Like, uh, huge focus on football in Europe, soccer, whatever way you want to call it. Uh, so we're, we've signed uh, four Premier League teams at this stage, three Championship teams, five MLS teams. 
um, and uh, the top two uh, clubs in, in Scotland as well, Celtic and Rangers. And I think what we were doing originally, um, Stephen's background, to the, the Stephen Smith is the founder of the company, and he worked in Leinster as head of rehabilitation there. And he began to see some problems around. There's lots of data being collected, but how are we actually harnessing that data to improve our decision-making? How are we harnessing that data to improve our communication as a staff group? And he saw some major issues. So the foundation and the formation of Kitman Labs was kind of born and bred within Leinster and within an understanding of the problems that existed in the environment at the time. Um, And then Stephen uh, basically created Kitman Labs. uh, And and off the back of that, we began to sell the product into other markets, other geographies, other sports, and immediately bumped into some challenges because what we had built for rugby wasn't necessarily transferable straight across to a baseball environment. Uh, even to a football environment, there were some challenges. Um, so a lot of what we've been doing over the past four or five years as the company's developed is making our, our solution incredibly flexible so that when we walk into a baseball environment, we can tailor and customize the product to fit exactly to their workflow environment where they have five games a week versus a rugby team that has one game a week. In baseball, they're training once, twice a week and they're playing all the time. In rugby, they're training five, six times a week and they're, and they're playing uh, once a week. So it, being able to tailor the solution uh, has been a, a big challenge for us and something that we've kind of focused on a lot over the last number of years. And off the back of that, in the last number of years, we've expanded into 25 different uh, leagues across the world, um, 35 different sports. We've just done a league-wide deal with the NRL down in Australia and we've signed a, a number of large franchises in baseball and basketball in, in in american football in the u.s um and then we've continued our expansion in rugby uh which is really where we were born and bred and where the company was born and bred and are making a big push on the football market as well so i think that the the fruits of the labor we put in over the last number of years are really paying off now and the flexibility of the product and its applicability across across different sports and different geographies is now is now coming through which is great would you change the physical tests with the different sports was that one of the things that you change for for them or is it do, do the physical tests remain the same so we so one of the interesting things about us is we don't determine what physical tests or what ma- metrics or data points a team is collecting so we come into an environment we understand okay so here are the 50 metrics you guys are collecting today we'll aggregate all that data into our system and part of our real value add is we'll link all that data back to injuries back to performance kpis um, and help them to understand out of the 50 metrics you're collecting only 10 of them are actually relating back to the injuries is that how many t- some teams are collecting up to th- up to 50 data points 150 some of them okay and um, we we started working with an nrl team two years ago our first client down there and we had to do an import of their historic data and we took in well over a million data points just through an excel spreadsheet you know they're collecting reams and reams of data even from the just from their gps vendors they might be looking at um you know 50 different metrics okay so part of the problem today with all that is there's huge abilities to collect data there's so many different wearable sensors there's different psychological data you can collect there's blood data you can collect and what we found now is like the data revolution hasn't necessarily led to better decision making and in fact, it's probably caused the opposite because lots of data leads to lots of decisions, but it doesn't necessarily lead to good decisions. So one of the things we are, are real value adds when we come into a team is we'll have a look at what they're doing. We'll have a look at the data points they're collecting and we'll run an analysis for them and help them understand based on the injury problems you're having today, based on the way you want to play the game, these are the, the 15 metrics you guys should be focusing on. Here's how you should be using them. Here's how you should be thresholding off them. 
and we'll actually set that up within their system. So every day when they log into their phone or their laptop, they can immediately see if a player's done too much, done too little, if a player's not strong enough uh, for where they need to be for their position group. So giving them kind of a benchmarking and a thresholding tool to, to improve their daily, weekly, monthly decision-making. It's incredible. Uh, and when you guys are looking at different sports then, obviously there is probably significant uh, injury prevalences in different sports like baseball, for example, rotator cuff injuries from throwing, um, sports where there's landing mechanics, basketball, that kind of stuff, like knee injuries. Uh, is there anything that's really consistent across a huge variety of field-based sports that you guys see if you're like, this? these are the kind of key indicators that are going to lead to injury? Yeah, one of the really interesting things for us is we initially thought that the real power, like, of what we can do is because we've got data sets from so many different sports is we can take hamstring injuries for instance we can look at every hamstring injury from every team that we work with and based off that massive aggregated data set we can help teams understand here's the three most important metrics for hamstring injuries but part of the problem is what causes a hamstring injury in rugby uh, where someone's uh, extended at a ruck and gets absolutely smashed from behind and overextends their hips and you know the hamstring pops off the bone versus in football where someone's at full tilt and suddenly uh, decelerates as they're trying to turn around and go around someone is completely and utterly different. And in fact, what we have even seen uh, beyond that is the four provinces, for instance, will have different injury profiles, they'll have different ways of playing rugby, and they'll have uh, different metrics that are important because of that. So what we're trying to do is allow teams to be really, really focused on what they collect based off the way they want to play the game, based off their age profile, their injury profile, um, and based off uh, the way th- the way their the, their players are actually adapting to the training uh, that the the coaches are giving them. So we're trying to be really really focused. Um, we're happy to for for instance, if a team comes to us and says we have massive back issues, and uh, they can't figure. Yeah, I'm just pointing at Rory here because I know he hurt his back at a stag over the weekend. He tried to say he was doing a deadlift, but I know it's from try- trying to pick up a, a lar- the large man sitting beside me here. So Rhodes jumped on my back on the stag and was trying to. He needed to piggyback home he'd had a few too many beers that's that's as much as I remember of any of it yeah I'm literally goosed here but anyway Kev back to you were saying there anyway something that yeah. wasn't that interesting but come on get yeah, on yeah. so I was just saying say, say a team is having an awful trouble with back injuries and nothing in their data is giving them any indication of why we can't find anything what we'll do then is we'll based off our experience of working with other teams and seeing other back injuries occur we'll make some recommendations we'll say try looking at these five metrics try using them this way and then we'll continue to run analysis on your data over time and continue to rough find out how we can deal with that problem so trying to be create like a really really dynamic process with the teams and allow them to continue to research and understand what's happening within their data because the other really interesting thing is a team that we started working with six months ago has a different profile today than they did same way as when when you're training people after six months of training like what what looks like for performance for them is very different what their risk profile is is very different you probably like made them a lot stronger a lot fitter or whatever so it's the exact same in rugby and football and all the sports we work with is the players constantly adapt particularly professional athletes so if we were to apply broad strokes and continue to apply the same rules today than we do in six months time it just wouldn't make any sense and even if you think of like how far the games come over the last couple of years from when i was involved how far everything's come if you say like you're saying if you kind of keep applying those things then they're going to become outdated um in terms of if you think of the change that's gone over the last five or six years what do you see going forward in terms of what kitman Labs is going to be doing is there anything like really exciting that you guys are starting to look at that will kind of add an extra dimension to 
that aside from what you're saying now yeah so we like originally when the company was founded five years ago we were very very focused on injury prevention and only in the last six months have we started to add in the performance analytics layer to what we do exact same approach is we're taking a multivariate approach linking every data point a team is collecting back to injury and we're doing the exact same with kpis so say looking at tackle effectiveness effectiveness in rugby is what how strong does a back rower need to be how fast how powerful to uh, improve their tackle effectiveness in games and that's exactly what we're doing so i think part of the you know every performance team sits down and they say right it's not just about keeping all my players healthy it's about um you know when when charlie higgins sits down with leo cullen he's also asking them like are the guys going to be fit enough are they going to be strong enough are they going to be able to run over the top of the lads at the weekend and it's 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 two-tiered and what we want to do is sit right in the middle and allow teams to say we're going to minimize injury risk but we're going to drive the guys on as well and make sure that they're strong and robust enough to deal with the demands of the game and actually perform at the weekend at the same time so for us that's really exciting because no company has ever been able to do that before you hear companies talking about oh we'll reduce your injury rates but like if you were to wrap the guys up in cotton wool and never do anything with them of course they'll never get injured but they're also going to get bashed every weekend do you find I think that's really interesting I kind of challenge you on this a little bit if, yeah. if you're looking at sort of data profiling of players and like myself and Rhodes we did our thesis on um, compiling anthropometrical and physical profiles mm. of junior cup rugby players yeah. so we kind of said look this is what a second row looks like this is what a, whatever you're talking a far more advanced level more detailed with professional elite athletes do you think that some coaches like the money ball scenario they'll be completely driven by the numbers and say look this guy isn't tall enough to be an international second row do you think that sports is going to become that way and everything comes down to the the data i know Rudds, you've had these kind of conversations before with coaches when you were coming up through the ranks is it something that coaches are solely going to be picking guys for elite development programs based on this is what you should look like uh, this is the weight you should be this is the power output you should be hitting and like rugby for example is a sport where you know there's a huge amount of variables and the intangibles that you can't just get by reading physical stats off a sheet is sport gonna ultimately go that way well you're hoping yes because it's good for business but <laughs> well, not really actually and i think that's a great question because we've had this conversation with several coaches since we started running the performance analytics and part of the conversation would be if you look at um, a wales rugby for instance and they've got two sevens primarily now warbens finished but it was two sevens primarily have played starter for them in the seven shirt over the over the last number of years to purick and warburton and what looks like success for those two guys is totally and utterly different. And and what the coach actually wants from them is different. Because if he plays to Perk, he wants him to be that linking seven, roving around the park, um, you know, actually making carries, making line breaks. If he plays Warburton, he wants turnovers and tackles, low tackles from him. Exact same thing when he plays Lydiot versus when he plays Ross Moriarty or whatever. So there's no, like, perfect player per se. But what we're trying to do is take some layer of objectivity to the training and planning decisions that are happening every day anyway. So right now, when Paul Sturgeon, the head of performance for Wales Rugby, sits down and plans out um, you know, the, the back rowers uh, training program for the next 6-12 months, like having a layer of obje- objectivity to say, this is what my ball carrying 7s and 8s need to look like to give them the best chance of getting over the gain line because the key KPI as far as Warren Gatlin is concerned for my ball carrying 8s is that they get over the gain line every time they carry and here are 6 metrics that Kitman Labs have discovered are directly linked between our back rowers getting over the gain line um, and not getting over the gain line and here's where they need to be from a benchmark and profiling standpoint to give them the best chance of doing that is that beneficial? absolutely does it ever take away Gats' ability to go yeah he carried well yeah he's strong yeah he's powerful but 
I just uh, I didn't like his leadership in the last 20 minutes or I thought he knocked off a bit in defense that time and that's that's my call and you're never taking that out of the game but at the end of the day like our philosophy is that you're making all these decisions about training programs short term and long term all the time why not be as objective as you can about it and even if you think like for us as a conditioning coach just having that information to know this where the best use of time is because it's so hard to if you look at rugby there's so many different physiological qualities that you need for rugby and then you're trying to fit in as well the technical the tactical side of that in a training week so you've got such limited amount of time for physical development when you look at the whole week as a pitcher to know that this is the areas based off the data that i'm going to get the best bang for my buck in but also for us as coaches we i find that we all tend to have our um biases with regards to the things we want to work on so if you come from like a heavy strength background you're probably going to think right i need to get these players stronger to be more effective in the tackle but having something that's objective that goes well no actually it's a different metric that's the most important thing then it can help me as a coach to maybe lean away from some of my biases and go well this other thing helps him be a better tackler let's spend a bit more time on that so i think that could be really really useful for coaches in terms of guiding the amount of time that's put into certain physical development it's very interesting you say that because the other element of that is we've done some analysis for rugby team recently that basically was able to quantify how strong um say like from a squat perspective and um, back rowers needed to be to improve their tackle effectiveness and and the value of that is exactly like you say is if they're if the threshold is 160 kilograms for three and they're already squatting 180 then you don't need to spend much time doing squatting with them so maybe it's their power output that needs to be worked on and maybe it's um things like their footwork that are letting them down when it comes to the tackle um, and maybe it's their upper body strength needs a bit more work and now you can begin to tailor programs based off what's actually going to lead to better performance at the weekend because i remember when we were training in there dan tobin used to give us studies and he gave us like a study about what super 14 back row players bench compared to other um players in europe and then he was kind of getting us to really focus on that but and that was awesome then because you knew that you're training towards this benchmark that someone who's the best in the world is doing so you know that that's something to aim for but this is another level on top of that because like you're saying you're aggregating so much data it's not because we know from doing our thesis that you could have a study but it's so hard to study a huge amount of people so you've already studied one team versus another team but that's only a snapshot and yeah. like you were saying different teams are different ways of playing so that might be really important to a South African team who plays really physical ball compared to maybe a team in Wales who maybe plays more expansive. Is that as important? So I think getting more and more data and it's all correlated and then you can do it gives a better picture. Even even from, from a player point of view, that's going to be incredibly exciting to increase buy-in, I'd imagine. If you're, like Rudd said, these are the benchmarks to go at. But if you know that you're at a level already that is the top level in the world for what these guys who are the most effective car- ball carriers are if you can already squat that if your power outputs whatever the confidence that that's probably going to give you um, of making it to the next level or when you come up against them, those teams is going to be huge like if I had known I could squat 160 for 3 I probably wouldn't <laughs> try to pick up roads at the weekend uh, <laughs> and wouldn't be sitting here crocked um, but like when you see like you're probably seeing across a load of different sports you're, do you get much chance to interact with with players and coaching staffs in your role like are you out there meeting the coaches and finding what they want from the equipment and what they want from the software 
Yeah, it would be. So a lot of my job would be traveling around, meeting our existing customers and prospects. And that's pretty fascinating because a lot of what you see is exactly like we were speaking about there is like the definition of performance and what winning actually looks like is very different for every team. And what they consider a good performance for each of their position groups is very different. Um, And then the environments, like it's been fascinating for me meeting, going over to Premier League teams, Bundesliga teams, um, Dutch football teams, for instance, and just seeing the complete different environment to what I'm used to in rugby. And that's the big question then is what sort of stood out to you? I mean, like, whoa, this is, you know, like kind of open your eyes to what you're used to. Obviously, your whole career at Leinster pretty much. uh, Like, is there things you're seeing now where you're like, wow, this is this game changer really opened my eyes to that level of performance? Yeah, like it's the the facilities in football are definitely a lot better from but from what I have seen, having visited probably thirty, forty football clubs across Europe now at this point, is like the culture's aspect will be stronger in rugby. Um the other big thing that jumped out at me is like how little strength work the majority of football teams do. They spend very little time in the gym. It seems to be all pitch based, apart from some exceptions. Uh some exceptions put a lot of focus on, on their gym work and strength and, and try and get an edge in that way. But again, that's something that we can help with and that if we come into a team and we have a look and kind of link some of this uh, performance testing metrics around strength back to the KPIs and help them understand this, and you're, you're doing one gym session a month, but when you guys get to a certain, when your midfielders get to a certain squat level, they're winning way, way more air challenges. So like why you guys need to incorporate that more in your program. Like that's the kind of impact we want to have is try and take the guesswork out of the training programs and allow them to understand like, it just because we read a study, you know, six weeks ago that said it should be all pitch-based work. Well, that might have worked for one team or one cohort of athletes, but for you guys, based on the profile and makeup for for where you're at, you need to be focusing on different areas. So, in terms of like the different environments and seeing different things from when we were involved in Leinster, like mm-hmm. I would have picked up so much from you amongst other people in terms of like you be playing a Leinster A game, you're you're playing coming back from injury. I would have picked up so many things that you would have taught me like as in like how to make sure I knew all my roles for the day even though you were coming in down in slightly different stuff or even I'd watch the way you'd warm up before and get everything done like you'd pick up so much from the older players and Whoa, th- those, 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 <laughs> those, those, those habits yeah. like when you're going in and you're seeing these other clubs like have you seen anything there in terms of habits from leaders or players that you think oh I wish I'd have been doing that in my career or I wish we were doing that in Leinster at the time honestly and this might sound a little bit arrogant but I haven't seen anything better than Leinster in my travels and I've been to places like Tottenham Man United uh, Everton Man City seeing these like Man City's complex is essentially it, it looks like a city like you come into this place and it's it's pretty incredible they have got everything they need but i mean what i liked about in leinster is like we were always we were never going to have the biggest budget in the world um and we were never going to have the best players but we built like a pretty incredible academy system and we built like a really strong culture around hard work and and people doing whatever they could to, to make themselves and their teammates look good um, and like I learned a huge amount from the senior players when I went in same way as you did when you came in and I think that's just built momentum over the years and uh, honestly I have not seen anything to the same level of professionalism since, since I was there I mean Leinster were the very first team in Europe to use GPS and I think one of the things about rugby and the limited budgets that exist is that it, it, it forces efficiencies <laughs> It forces ways for teams to find an edge. And when Leinster's annual budget is whatever, eight, nine million euros, and Racing have a, an annual budget of 30, 35 million euros, 
I think there's less emphasis in wrestling on finding excellence, where for Leinster they have to find excellence because they have more limited resources. They're not going to be able to buy the same talent in. So let's like get the absolute most of what we have in here. And it's something that's been very fascinating for me because I thought when I walked into some of these Premier League teams that I'd just be like my mind would be blown with the standards and everything. But I honestly have been very pleasantly surprised that the environment that me and you roads were in was like the best I've I've seen in terms of standards and in terms of like driving that culture and um you know real work hard ethic in terms of if you were if you were in a different role now and you were coaching a team based on what you're playing what would you think are some of the most important things for like a rugby team or a soccer team in terms of like to build that culture it's hard it's it, it is incredibly hard in football because like the coaches have egos the players have egos and because there's so much money involved um, it, it's extremely hard you've got a guy like Ronaldo coming into Juventus now and like the whole club is based around him and as soon as you get into an, an environment where you've got a whole club focused on one player like it's dangerous and uh, I honestly don't I, I think like what I like and what I think has a big impact is like bringing talent through through the system because then you can develop people in the right way and I think that's one of the huge advantages the Irish teams have is because their academy systems are so strong that it's always mostly Irish people. It's always mostly people from the same area. So I think that is a very strong starting point. And I think some teams have had big success with that, developing talent um, and having strong academy systems. And I think that's a good start because you can shape people in the right way. Um, but the challenge in is then you bring in five superstars from around the world and they know nothing about where the club came from. They know nothing about the supporters. And, and you're... It gets a little bit diluted, but I think, like, say, Sir Alex did an amazing job at United, and part of that was because he had that core of local players that he brought through the academy, and as well, like, I'm not sure anyone's replicated it since, so no, yeah. and, and watching- well, Le- Leeds sort of early two thousands would have been, but that's a good example. <laughs> academy where yeah. when Leeds a long time ago, so I'm obviously a Leeds fan, but when we were successful a long time ago, it was all the young guys coming up to the academy mixed in with a couple of superstars that came in, yeah. and it seemed to be something that there always was that culture. But when things started going wrong at that level, is when they just started buying talent to hopefully get them out of a hole yeah. and selling all their academy players. So, like, I think it's an incredible way you're talking about how lucky we are in Ireland with all the, the yeah. academy systems coming up. You can see it shining through all the time like Leinster is the best example again yeah, at the is. minute yeah. you look at like what would be perceived as Leinster's second team like that's probably the second best team in Europe at yeah. the minute you know so definitely definitely pays dividends but like Sir Alex also what, what I liked about him was when a player's ego got too big he sold him like <laughs> no matter how good he was and like when I let Ronaldo go like yeah. like probably the best player in Europe but he obviously felt listen this guy's getting too big for the club um, we need to bring in someone else and we need to make sure that we, we keep our culture and keep our identity like and even if you take that out to like any team in a work environment in a sports team like selecting on character is huge like these are the character traits we want to display as a team these are our values you either buy into the values or you don't you could be a really good player you could be really good in the business scenario but if you don't buy into these core values then you're not part of our team i think that that i think for me anyway as a leader i think that's huge because then it trickles down to other people so like for myself when i was a young guy in that environment i'm looking around at what all the guys who are where i want to be are doing and i notice that they don't just chuck all the tape on the floor they pick it up after them they don't leave the locker room in state they're always there on time for training Mm -hmm. Like all those little things that I would have learned, you learned not from being told by the coaches. Obviously, you were told by the coaches, but mm. what you really learned was 
that guy is where I want to be. He's doing all these things and he's at that level already. Okay, I'm I'm not going to throw my tape on the floor. I'm not going to be late to sessions. Yeah. I think that's huge in terms of everyone buying to these are our standards. This is the important stuff for us. And then the guys who are at the top, like you're saying, are doing it. Then for younger guys like myself or people who are lower in the team, you're going to go, okay, I'm going to do that too. Way more crack though being uh, Balotelli and going off buying phones instead of going training <laughs> and trocking your car around. So like, yeah, that's, you exactly. know, you're going to be going far, have four more fun runs. But uh, no, it, it's exactly what you're saying. And you're talking about the characteristics and traits, which is what, what brings on to my next question for you, Kev, is um, like dealing with injuries and setbacks in your own career. Yeah. Um, like obviously being involved in an environment like Leinster where culture is such a strong part do you think that helps you personally to deal with the, the amount of setbacks that you had throughout your career to keep coming back and trying to improve how you you recover and how you perform and deal mentally with those setbacks potentially like you're a small bit on your own when you get injured I think like I was very lucky with the medical setup there that I got looked after very well but part of what you're doing when you get injured is getting out of the way it's like the team has to keep going it's not about you anymore you can't contribute on the pitch all you can do is like do everything in your power to get fit again and part of part of getting fit is like staying mentally positive so like that was that's always the big challenge and i think like i learned a lot about myself over those periods of time and um, it's hugely challenging sitting on the bench watching like other back rowers dominate like <laughs> And you're sitting there in a, in a knee brace or an ankle brace not being able to do anything and i spent a lot of my career doing that i think it helped build my character um so there are some positives to get to getting injured all the time um but yeah absolutely i think like when you're coming back from injury then you need to be patient because you expect big things of yourself and you expect to get back into it and it's it's one mental challenge after another and every professional athlete has to deal with it and every sports team has to support injured athletes but i think one of the really positive things in leinster is like the injured player realized it wasn't about them they stepped aside they did their rehab and they did everything they could to get back and support their teammates um, and didn't strop around the place because at the end of the day having a positive hard work environment that everyone comes into every morning uh, is really important for the performance at the weekend so i think what i would have tried to do is like keep my head up stay positive do everything in my power to get fit as, as quickly as i could um, and let the guys get on with it and do their jobs is there anything you've learned then from what you're doing now that you in terms of dealing with injuries and rehab that you would have done differently based on the knowledge that you have now seeing different environments looking at the stats analyzing those things all the time is there anything that you would have done differently to try get you back on the pitch a little bit quicker um i think like uh, if there had been this kind of level of analysis when i was a lot younger i think a lot of my injury problems could have been averted i think uh I, I was from the age of sort of 16 17 growing pains back pain shoulder pains knee trouble and uh, picked up a couple of really severe injuries in my 20 between 20 and 22 and then struggled with them a little bit for the rest of my career and i think um if some of the the, the signs had been picked up a bit earlier those injuries could be prevented i could have been on a different trajectory mm. and i think part of what we're trying to do is understand that no two athletes are the same and we need to build a profile of every single athlete and understand what are their weaknesses what are their issues and how can we put in place a really really focused plan to give them the best chance of staying healthy you're never totally eliminating risk but like injuries will always happen but if we give a player the best chance of staying healthy and the best chance of performing and, and use data in that way i think will have made a big difference do you think it's possible then for kind of like our listeners people who are recreational athletes like going to the gym they might play you know play football twice a week play a match at the weekend what kind of advice would you have for those guys based on they're never going to have this level of detail or data what kind of things can they do to help keep them injury free uh, for and keep them on the pitch during their season while 
training in the gym or doing whatever they like to do come to FFS <laughs> they look after you I've got yeah. I'm holding up a placard yeah exactly uh, no like honestly stay fit like actually I think do a little bit of preparation before you train before you play uh, go to a physio come somewhere like here and try and learn a little bit about your weaknesses and like understand where you need to focus on because like I think you you guys would see someone training for half an hour and you'd be straight away like their glute stability or whatever it might be like that's an immediate risk factor or when they walk they're turning in like there's probably two or three easy signals you guys could pick up in the space of a week that could really like um uh, cut down on someone's risk but one of the interesting things with with kitman labs on, on that subject is that we are moving towards the consumer market at some point okay um it's one of the things we're, we're really interesting we're interested in doing is like how can we take whatever data metrics are collected in someone's phone or watch or whatever they're collecting today and push back insights based off their performance goals and help them prevent injuries to allow them to achieve their performance goals and uh it's essentially the same approach and yeah i think it's it's something that's very interesting to us and and watch this space in that market as well so it's very exciting <laughs> i think that would be huge for because if you what you said about there's more data now than ever but is that necessarily leading to better decisions so what i see every day as a coach mm. is you've got people wearing watches giving them loads of data you've got um in the gym like there's so many different metrics that someone can take but I'd often say to someone, one of the best metrics you could take is what's your energy levels on a scale of one to 10 every day. It's so simple. You don't need any equipment mm. for it. But if your energy level is constantly a four or five, then you've got to look at your sleep, your nutrition, how much you're training. There's so many things. Mm. But often when you've got uh, 50 different data points to look at, it's so easy to get confused with all these different things. Whereas at least there was something like that where it boils down the three or four most important things and it just comes in an easy display for people. I think that would help a lot of people we work with because it'll get them to focus on the important things instead yeah. of the new or the kind of... You're exactly right. I feel like that the wearable space in the consumer market right now is where Leinster was about 15 years ago and that we were collecting how much distance someone was running and like, so what? Like, what did that actually mean? Okay, so they've done 10% more than they did this month, last month. Again, so what? What does that actually mean? And is that important or not? So it's the exact same like you're saying, Rhodes, is they're collecting all this data on their watches and, you know, their heart rate and all that stuff. But like, what does that actually mean? Is it impacting performance? Is it like allowing them to improve? And it is, is it actually increasing their chances of getting injured? And like it, w what we foresee is like the exact same approach being taken is like help team help help individuals link their data together to make better decisions around how they can achieve their performance goals. I think that's huge as well because like most people I work with is say you do your one hour in the gym, it's that twenty three hours outside that really once you get into a consistent exercise routine, then a load of the huge gains of the twenty three hours. How can you make the twenty three hours? shuttle back with habits that you end up having instead of four hour 10 energy every day you have eight hour 10 like that is a game-changing thing but it's not necessarily from changing to a front squat to a back squat is going to get you those four points yeah. in it it's going to be your sleep your nutrition your stress levels so many different things that maybe could add an extra point so four different things could add an extra point to that energy level but you could move the needle in a huge way with those 23 hours as opposed to maybe worrying about a little thing like is it a front squat is it a back squat mm. is it eight reps or ten reps they're probably not the things that are going to move that needle four points 
Absolutely. One of the best things I remember we did at the start roads, it was from speaking to Stevie and Dan and Tommy yeah. and the guys in Leinster was yeah. we used to bring in a really basic screening thing that we do in warm-ups at the start of the session. So we teach clients um, kind of some of the like adapted FMS screening stuff. So we yeah. do like a sit and reach test where if I was paired up with you, Kev, you'd sit and you'd grade me out of three. It'd take sort of, it'd be part of the warm-up. We'd mm. do a couple of sit and reach tests. And if you were flagging on certain areas like your hip flexors or your hamstrings mm. or your glutes or it might be, you'd kind of go into a more specialized warm-up for that part of the session and I found even when I took that to pitch sessions when I was driving to Kilkenny for training mm. I get out of the car I do four or five quick tests and say right I've got five minutes to get into my warm up here what's the one area that'll kind of help me train a little bit better so like my hamstrings would be so stiff from sitting in the car if I couldn't touch my toes I'd just do a four minute hammy circuit mm. I'd eventually touch my toes and I'd hit the pitch a bit more confident that you know my hammies aren't going to go um, I think that's where some of the people listen to this looking at right how do I keep my body in the best shape you need to write an inventory of what your body can actually do to check in on it regularly whether it's before training whether it's once a month and write down okay these are the areas that I'm getting a little bit stiffer a bit tighter and if you're taking in consideration how you're feeling and if you're tired how your mood and energy is I think that'll give people a huge help at a very basic kind of rudimental level to try to keep them on the pitch for a bit longer absolutely and like I think what you hit on there Rory is really important is that it has to be individualized because I remember uh like when we were in Leinster and we started doing some of the screening stuff in the mornings is like we did a sit and reach where you'd measure basically how far you could reach forward when you were sitting down similar similar uh, to what you guys are doing and there was a, a prop in Leinster at the time Ronan McCormick and his baseline was minus 15 and that was standard for him and you know if he got a minus 13 he was doing very well Whereas there was guys like uh, some of the young whippersnappers like Fur getting 30 centimeters in the in their sit and reach. <laughs> and like having the same rules for them made absolutely no sense. And like what your baseline is and what good looks like for someone is totally and utterly different. So like you're saying, learning a little bit about what normal looks for like for you and then continuing to monitor things as you adapt to training um, over time and continue to push yourself forward. Because a lot of what we've seen that data has done to even professional athletes and professional teams over the last number of years is like pulled them back in that like we're collecting all this data oh my god we just got an alert from a heart rate variable so let's do nothing with the athletes today and like that that's problematic because you're stunting development and i think like data should be used to help push athletes forward in a very meaningful way not to pull them back so it's uh individualization is really really key you know well, individualization is going to come into kind of your memory knowledge now, Kev, of C. I'm kind of very impressed with, slash excited about this really, Rod. Do you want to take it away? Yep. So <laughs> we do a little full fit quiz, uh, fitness full fit at the end of every podcast for a bit of fun. Um, if, I, if I lose, I'm going to take, I'll do it in a week. <laughs> so, so who am I against? Me. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm terrible at quizzes. <laughs> so okay. the way it's going to work is whoever whoever wins decides what the other person will do in terms of fitness forfeit um, and what, what do we record the fitness forfeit do we do it here or where do we do it uh, we can, you can do it here yeah I'll bring you in and I'll take you through it I'll I, I do it with you but I, I can't okay. walk at the minute but we'll get it done eventually <laughs> no, yeah. no, neither can I, no it, it can be done here or it can be done remotely just some sort of video evidence <laughs> would, be, uh, okay. would be great um, so basically the theme of today's quiz is Kev you obviously played in the Heineken Cup final um, and Roy played a crucial role supporting Kevin and the team that day. In, uh, is this in, the Cardiff one? Or Cardiff. Oh, God. Okay. There's a good, actually a good story about this. I'll make it very quick. But uh, I was I was over, at the, went to the 
been to two of the finals, one in Edinburgh and one yeah. in Cardiff. And uh, basically, a big gang was over to one in Cardiff. Crack was crack was very good. Um, and there was a clip where I think Johnny scored a penalty, like crucial penalty, kind yeah. of just around half time. And this guy turfed a pint straight onto the cameraman. If you look at the highlights of it, he literally destroys the cameraman yeah. and gets t- dragged out of the stadium. And I saw this happen. I was laughing my arse off watching it. I looked at my phone. Yeah. After the match, there's no signal in the stadium. I had like 50 messages from like everybody I know being like, "You idiot!" Like, you know, everybody for some reason was convinced it was me. If you look at the footage, the guy just drenches the cameraman. It's like my mother texts me being like, "You're a disgrace." And, and oh, it was your doppelganger. Was it, it? Yeah, it was. It wasn't me at all. But uh, I'd love to meet that guy. If, if you're listening, make sure you give me a shout because we need to get a photo <laughs> together. But yeah, that, I'm assuming Very that's good. where you're getting it from, Rudd's my crucial role supporting the team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's exactly it. So today's quiz is Leinster Heineken Cup themed the rules are going to be you each have three questions each one point for a correct answer yeah. if you answer incorrectly or choose not to answer the other person will have an opportunity to steal the steal. point in the okay. event of a tie break we'll go to sudden death lightning round okay so give Kev away first give him the honour as a yeah. guest <laughs> Kev the honour so Kev where was where did Leinster win their first title oh, in 2009 Edinburgh Stadium name? Oh. Murrayfield. Oh, come on. Rudd's clutching its straws there. <laughs> All right, next. Rory, how many points did Leinster trail Northampton by at halftime in the 2011 final? Within like three points or like the exact? Exact, please. Uh, <laughs> 23? Kev? I think it was 23... It was either six or nine. Get on with it, Kev. 23, Come six. On. The exact point <laughs> difference. <laughs> oh, well, you're really testing my maths. What's that, 14, uh, 17? Answer was 22. Oh, so, so I was closer. So closer, I should but no, no, no. All right, points. so no point. Yeah. <laughs> 22. <laughs> Is that incorrect? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. We'll re at that. Hoover, what was it? 16. 16, so you were wrong anyway. All right. You got it. You he said score. 17. You got the score right. Yeah, I just got my maths wrong. That doesn't matter. Like, I can't... I, you know, my I can't... Apologies, Lance, I on, what, what was the score? What, what was the points difference? 16. Yeah, so 23... 23-6. He said 23-6. No, I said 23-6. Yeah. So Hoover piped so, down... So I'm just glad my maths wasn't that bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So both of us were wrong. Uh, especially Rudds. Rudds, you're yeah, doing geez. the forefoot no matter Rudd, what it is. For that. Yeah. I, I, I hope the rest of these answers are correct now. Uh, Kev will tell us if they're wrong anyway. Yeah. If, I, if I win this, you're a disgrace, Kev. You're like, oh my God. Brilliant. Right, back to Kev, 1-0. Kev, who scored Leinster's solitary try in the 2009 final win? Oh. Don't show me. I could okay, just it was steal. either Heaslip or Jennings. I think it was Jamie Heaslip with a Shane Jennings latch. So what's your answer? God damn it. Jamie Heaslip. You're correct. Oh, 2-0. Okay. Okay. Rory, in 2012, Leinster became the second team to claim back-to-back Heineken Cup crowns. Who were the first? Your questions are way This harder. isn't about Leinster. This is like, I'm getting the worst questions ever here. Uh, oh, God. First to go back to back. It's either going to be like Leicester or French team. Um, back to back. I'm going to have to go to Toulouse. Incorrect. Oh. It's probably Leicester, is it? It's I gave it away. Oh. I spoke too much. Damn it! 
Okay, Kev, as my forfeit, foam roll for 40 minutes. Uh, <laughs> so do I come up with the forfeit? You come up with it. You get to hit me oh, with wow. whatever you like. Um, I'll do it as soon as I'm fit and able. We've got a big uh, big weekend ahead of us with the FFS Golf Society annual Ryder Cup this okay, week. Okay, so. so I'm going to give you... Uh, it's not too bad. It's the burpee challenge. Okay. So 50 burpees as fast as you can and you have to try and beat my PB. What's your PB? I, I, I can't remember. <laughs> you can text me your PB. Uh, I and need then to I'll, find it. Yeah, or, text or me. make it up. I'll take it on. Listen, Kev, thanks so much for popping in. We appreciate it. There's some awesome things in the episode. And, no uh, worries. All the best going forward with Kitman Labs and staying injury free. Appreciate it. Cheers, Cheers Kev. Thanks. thanks.